Welcome to Fireside Breakdowns. I'm John. And I'm Robin. On this show, we break down some of the most controversial, complex, and even polarizing topics facing our society. We use honest, good faith analysis backed by research to form our conclusions. We promise to skew our bias towards what can be factually supported and to make it clear when we're giving you our opinion versus speaking about something we've actually researched. Yeah, we're human. We have blind spots and personal biases, and they will show up sometimes. But the goal of this show isn't to convince you to see things our way. We want to give everyone a foundational understanding of these complicated topics and present the most truthful information available so that we can discuss and address these issues in a thoughtful and beneficial way. We talk about some pretty heavy stuff on the show, and we tackle topics that might feel polarizing. It's only because they are. But we do that because we have an important goal in mind. We want to change the way people have hard conversations. And we think we can do that using research and discussion to create common understanding. And since you're here, we hope you want the same thing. So we suggest getting comfortable, maybe having a good drink on hand in a football cup as we uh, work through this stuff. Welcome to our fireside. If our latest content has been keeping you on the edge of your seats because of its incredibly well-crafted and scripted, uh, you know, prose, then I have disappointing news for you all. (laughs) This one is completely unscripted. Yeah. We're, we're, we're winging this one guys, because life has decided we are not going to have time to fully script some stuff right now. So it was either record something or don't. And the good we news wanted to is, record something. We're real good at unscripted. Like we're real fun when we don't have a script. Oh. So this one's gonna be this one's gonna be a gem. I can tell you're you right now. Setting standard. You're, you're setting expectations like off the bat right now, and now the pressure's on. I'm gonna. I'm, oh. No, I feel like anybody could go back to any one of our unscripted episodes, uh, especially the early ones, and mm. uh, and see that we are very exciting when we go off script. Oh yeah. I mean, if you like soapboxes and train wrecks, then have we got a show for you. So right. <laughs> what are we going to uh, not talk from a script about? We do have bullet points. This week. I will say. I know we, we, we do. I've added a few myself. Okay. Um, um, so tonight, yeah. We're, it's potpourri of topics, really. They're really, well, but they all kind of coalesce around one topic, right? These are, we mm-hmm. want to talk about some things that are really significant as we head into election day. We're recording this on a Sunday. Um, this coming Tuesday is election day, midterm election day, 2022. And so we've seen a few things in the last several weeks that we feel like are very important to talk about heading into the election. Um, you know, we said it earlier, I think off camera, not that we're going to sway anybody's opinion necessarily, but if we can even help one person think about something that they wouldn't have considered going into election day, then we will have done our jobs. Yeah, I'd like to put uh, just like a, a stake in the ground before we see the results coming out, kind of see, kind of uh, discuss some things that we are considering as we um, as we go into this Tuesday. And maybe, maybe if we're feeling froggy, some minor prognostication about what we can expect. I do like to prognosticate. Yes. Now, typically prognostication is a fool's game, but well, 
we are a couple of fools. So prognosticating fools prognosticating fools. Um, so this is a, uh, uh, electoral potpourri of topics, yes. if you will. Yeah. Um, we're going to cover things like, uh, a fun phrase that maybe not a lot of you know about called stochastic terrorism, mm-hmm. um, which will come into play. We're going to talk about some of the massive amount of election deniers <laughs> that are on ballots across the country right now. Yes. Um, And we might touch a little bit on fiscal policy, red versus blue, uh, depending on what the time's looking like uh, by the end. Just some real light, just real light. Real light topics. Sprinkling. Nothing serious. There's nothing serious to Mm. consider going into this election. Um, Nothing Mm. on the line here at all. It's certainly not democracy at stake. No. And I I know none of you have heard that phrase being used this this election. Unlike the previous two or three elections yeah, when no. it's been used every time. No, nobody's <laughs> even saying that. And absolutely nobody's talking about like, you know, how much a gallon of milk costs. Yeah. Right? I'm actually, I'm I'm like legitimately, I'm getting so tired of saying like, yeah, democracy is at stake this election and meaning it every time. I'm like I would really, that. I'd really like it to just be hyperbole for once. <laughs> Just to like motivate people to get out and not like legitimately, guys, please, please, please go vote. Please, please vote. Please vote for people who are yeah. going to, you know, respect, respect our, our institutions. Representative Republic. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so huh. that kind of gets to the core of one of the things we're going to talk about is there are like Robin was mentioning it earlier with the gallon of milk and the price. It is there's a there's a um, a conflict of messaging happening right now depending mm-hmm. on who you're deciding to listen to and on one side of the uh political aisle you have people talking about um how yeah democracy is democracy is at stake and you need to vote in order to save democracy mm-hmm. and on the other side you have people talking about you know simple things like how expensive everything is right? <laughs> and <laughs> Uh, and crime and and trying to make their point based on that. So, um, yeah, there's a huge disconnect between the sides and, and what people are what people care about. And we're going to see here in a little under 48 hours, mm-hmm. I think at this point, we'll begin to see which one of these messagings uh, was successful. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And as, and if we, as we talk about like the success of different messaging um, tools and narratives, we also have to consider kind of the, the polarity between the sides and how they were set up to receive these messages in the first place. So you've mm-hmm. got the side that's really talking about the economy and crime and all of those kind of traditional election um, topics. And they're primed to be able to receive that message because at their core, they don't believe what the other side is saying. They don't believe that democracy and the stability of our nation's governmental system is actually on the line. So they can ignore that line of messaging and really focus on these very practical aspects where as if you swap it, um, you have an entire group of people who really do believe that the future of our country is on the line. And so there is no line of messaging that is so important on the other side that it would convince them to risk 
putting our democracy in a tenuous position going forward. So whereas in like a normal election year, we would see messages competing on almost a level playing field. But here you have two different groups that are messaging only to their own groups and they know it. And that's going to be really interesting because this will be a measure of how many people genuinely fall into those groups, I think. Yeah. Sorry, I was processing what you were thinking, or what you were thinking. (laughs) I wish I were processing what you were thinking. It would make this whole job a lot easier. Uh, (laughs) um, No, I... I agree. I one of the frustrating things about that I've been thinking about is that some people are worried about paying the bills, buying milk, putting uh, meat on the table, food on the table, not just yeah. meat. Um, I was thinking about meat because meat is ridiculously expensive yes. right now, on top of everything else. But I personally, in my own mindset. To, to kind of give a practical example is like, I don't worry about how much stuff costs if the system in which you buy those things could fail. Right. Like if, if the American government fails, the cost of milk is going to be much lower on the list of priorities for a lot of Americans Um, because a lot of people will suddenly find themselves, I think, fighting to even live in this country. And I don't mean like they're going to be dying, but I mean like being welcome here, being forced out of the United States Mm -hmm. or being treated as second-class citizens again and on a much more uh, existential level (laughs) – uh, beyond just life and death, but like just having a fulfilling life, struggling to live in the United States. And right. uh, that's what I worry about. We're seeing all sorts of, all sorts of things that are slowly chipping away on the protections that we have as citizens here. Like right now, the Supreme Court is hearing arguments about affirmative action. Mm-hmm. And it's specifically, there's two cases. And one of them applies to private colleges. One of them applies to public colleges. Um, but the end result will be, I mean, it'll be likely that they'll be decided in the same way because yeah. of the 6-3 split. And the end result will likely be, if I'm going to hazard a guess here, um, that we are going to see affirmative action as it applies to college admissions no longer be um, legal, mm-hmm. if you will. And we're, we will therefore see quite the, I would guess, um, shall we say, homogenization <laughs> of the collegiate uh, population uh, across the nation, it's it's going to make it harder for uh, minorities, people with you know statistic disadvantage right. disadvantages uh, towards success and achievement um, to to get into uh, prestigious schools. Um, so all of that is a very long and and roundabout way of saying that yeah, I worry about uh, this election. And while I do care about how much stuff costs, I the the reason I focus on the the 
problems our democracy is facing is because um, <laughs> in a really weird way, we are fortunate enough to live in a country where the cost of milk is important enough to swing an election. Does that make sense? Yes. Like, yeah, absolutely. It does make sense. Um, you know, I want I want to acknowledge that both of us are approaching this conversation from a place of relative privilege, right? Um, oh, yes. So we definitely. we generally don't wake up every day and wonder if we're going to be able to afford to feed our families. Um, yeah. And so. This conversation is not to say that that does not also need to be a very important topic of conversation. Right. Action also needs to be taken to control this cost of living crisis, to um, try to stabilize our, our economy a little bit more, things like that. We acknowledge that those things need to also take place. What we're, the point that, that I think we both are trying to make is that we cannot afford on any level to sacrifice the stability of our democracy for the temporary stability of the economy because the US economy goes up and down and it changes and it could we could have a bunch of politicians come in who promise to completely fix the inflation problem and they could fix it for 2 years they could fix it for 4 years they could not fix it at all. Make it worse. <laughs> right. Either way, we're taking that chance. Whereas if we bet on trying to uh, preserve the stability of our governmental system, then we have a better likelihood of having the time to find our way through in the long run. So if you are out there and you are struggling to put food on the table, I personally have been there. I understand. Um this is a very, very difficult decision, and we don't mean in any way to trivialize that decision for you or to make it sound like uh, like it should be an easy one. We just yeah. know that the state of our economy isn't guaranteed going forward, no matter who you vote for. But at least I believe that the health of our democracy is very clearly at stake based on this election. Yeah. Um and I, I think the the economic argument is one to, I'm going to skip around a little bit. Yeah, yeah, the economic yeah. argument is one that is like really frustrating to me because um, it ignores us. It, it, the way that it's being framed is that it ignores the reality of the situation, which is that the entire world is struggling with a, an economic crisis yes. right now. Yes. Because. It, it's not like the inflation is just in the United States. Right. It's we've got inflation all across Europe. You've got it all throughout um, Asia and Australia, like Africa. Everybody is struggling with inflation. South America. Let's just get them all in there because because the the COVID the pandemic the world shut down it created supply chain issues which are mm -hmm. still not resolved and now we've got an ongoing war in Ukraine Ukraine exported twenty percent of the world's grain and it can no longer do so because Russia long story short is not being a um, they're not be, they're not negotiating in good faith for anything yeah and so the the 
the fact that 20% of the world's grain can't be delivered is creating a massive uh, increase in grain prices around the world because suddenly we have much less than we should. Um, that's also compounded by ridiculous things like, for example, uh, the fact that Russia has been putting a uh, the kibosh basically on uh, fertilizer exports, which makes it more expensive to grow things. Right. Um, and you've got OPEC, which has been uh, cutting production. Uh -huh. You've got oil companies, which are somehow posting record profits quarter over quarter. Um even though the price of a barrel of oil is at the same level as it was, what, like in, I think, 2018? Uh, hold on a second. I'll look it up yeah. because it pisses me off. It's like way pre-pandemic. Yeah. Like cushy it's, economic times price of oil. Yeah, we're looking at like $89, $90 for a barrel right now. Um like the last time it was at this level was 2014. Yeah. So that's basically that's like full swing recovery from the Great Recession. That's like everyone's doing great. Yeah. 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 And then the next closest time for this, the, the last time it was even close to this uh, was uh, 2018, June 2018. So we should be paying similar prices, adjusting for normal inflation, but we're not. We're still paying, uh, you know, a ridiculous amount, almost five dollars a gallon in some places, or more for gas. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, this inflation thing—it's not caused by Democrats. It's not caused by Biden. It's not no. caused by anything that any single politician or political party is doing. It's just. Uh, I believe the 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 economic term for this is a clusterfuck, <laughs> and that yeah. is. I think that's, that's what I, I heard uh, Jamie Dimon say the other day. This is a clusterfuck. Yeah, that's what <laughs> it is. That's exactly what it is. So no, I mean, what, yeah. any appeal to reducing the cost at the table for you is not, in my opinion, being. It's not being made in in good faith. Like maybe we can do some things to adjust the price, but I doubt it because like things are being set on a global market. They so are. it 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 sounds to me like somebody is trying to sell you what you want to hear mm -hmm. without any any plan to follow through on it that they can actually execute. And that's one of my other frustrations and something that I wish people would focus on is that I haven't heard an actual plan right. out of Republicans. No. I haven't heard a single, like, these are the steps we're going to take. Their entire message has been, we're going to change things. Right. And it's like, things guys, are you bad. can't copy Obama without having some plan to back it up. Well, and that's like, it's it's like we always talk about with correlational versus causational data, right? It's really mm. easy to build a narrative and build a message on a correlation. Things happen at the same time. Let's make it sound like they're related. This happens yeah. every time a presidency turns over, especially in a crisis, right? President Trump took over and added a bunch of jobs to the economy after we had 
basically a workforce crisis. Biden took over immediately, like during the pandemic, and as we were opening things up and people were being rehired, and his administration's getting credit for all of these jobs added to the economy. His administration had virtually nothing to do with that, but he's getting credit for it. At the same time, Trump's administration. Exactly. No, like very few presidential administration decisions actually affect the number of jobs on the market at any given time, but they get credit for it. It's like a, a little tick in their box. Yeah. We're seeing the same thing because Biden is president during a time when we are really, really struggling economically. It's easy to shift the focus to, well, he took over and things got bad. Or things stayed bad. He didn't fix them. It's really easy to make that case because everyone says, yeah, yeah, forget him. It would be better if or things were better in the first two years of Trump's presidency versus the first two years of Biden's presidency. It's easy to make those those connections without addressing all of the underlying factors of those first two years of presidency. Right. Like. Trump took over at a time when we were doing really darn good economically. Yeah. Biden took over when things were in the crapper. You can only do so much. Yeah. And it's, mm, we don't have time to talk about all the decisions that led to where we were when Biden took over. We just don't. We don't. Um, We don't today. We do eventually. But uh, yeah, I just, the, the, uh, the, the red versus blue economic arguments in this particular campaign without any sort of plan. Yeah. Big, big pet peeve of big mine. Pet peeve. I will say, I feel like one thing that, um, that the blue politics is missing in this conversation is I don't feel like they're addressing the economic situation. They're putting so much focus on what they believe is at stake. I think from a, a marketing perspective, right? My job is to, to convince people of things I think Mm -hmm. they're missing a significant opportunity to address the concerns of people who might be on the other side. Oh, yeah. They're just not talking about it. I totally agree. A lot of the messaging that I'm hearing, at least from the national, uh, you know, party line has been it's about, uh, you know, democracy at stake and and. January 6th and and Trump and like, yeah, those are important things. But as we kind of touched on earlier, to be explicit about it, it doesn't mean that the cost of bacon and eggs doesn't matter too. And it needs to be like, we can address both at once. We can walk and chew gum at the same time. There's no reason that messaging has to be only, (laughs) there's no, there's no reason that the messaging has to stick solely to, um, you know, democracy, democracy, democracy. The, the here's here's the really, I think, difficult part to express about this is that a lot of people might be thinking to themselves, maybe not so quietly, okay, but what's the big deal about democracy? Right. Like it's made my life really, really hard. Hmm. And I would rather just be I like a lot of people think to themselves, I would rather just have the security of being able to feed my family, having a yeah. roof over my head, and being safe, being fed, being warm uh, than this constant stress. Um, and that's, I mean, that's a tale as old as the United States itself. Yes. Security versus freedom. Mm-hmm. 
Um, it's worth it is worth pointing out. And I think I can't remember exactly which episodes we've talked about it in. Um, but it's worth mentioning that when you compare numbers to numbers, generally, democratic economic and fiscal policies tend to benefit the people who are struggling more than Republican economic policies. So if you are out there and you are struggling to make ends meet, especially in this economy, keep in mind that the policies and the programs that are funded and put in place under um, under blue leadership, especially at the federal level, tend to benefit people who are in your situation a lot more than those that are put in place under red leadership. And that Again, that's something that's not really being talked about. It's something that we don't bring up very often in the national discourse. Um, yeah. I think because, like, if I was going to try to message that, right, from a platform perspective, what am I going to say? Like, hey, we're better for poor people. Like, yeah. you know, nobody wants well, and it, nobody wants to acknowledge the, like, oh, hey, that's me. And the Republican counter to that is this really twisted message about how Democrats just want to keep you poor. Like Democrats are trying to keep you poor, so they subsidize you and they they make it so you're comfortable um, down here, but you can't ever excel. I've 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 heard that specific oh, yeah. line multiple oh, yeah. times, and it's so frustrating to me because it's a, it's a twisted way of thinking about it. Um, you know, the number of people that I personally know now, mind you, this is not a good data point, um, so you can't take it for applying across the board, but the number of people I personally know who have had some sort of government-funded assistance and then worked their tail off to do something about it, to, to be better, mm -hmm. um, to improve their lives and used that assistance to actually make their, their lives better. Like it's, it's, I mean, it's not hundreds, but it's definitely enough that I could use hands to count them, Yeah, which means that the programs work They do at least in some limited way. Especially so. in in states, because like you have the federal programs and then you have how the states implement those programs. And there's all kinds of intricacies when it comes to these sort of social safety net issues. But especially in states where they are well funded and well administrated, you see that kind of graduation out of the system and you don't see a lot of recidiv recidivism. Oh, God, that word. You don't see a lot of recidivism mm -hmm. back into the program when they are administrated well. Yeah. Um, I think enough about financial policy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I want to talk about, at least for a few minutes, this concept of uh, stochastic terrorism. Yes. Um, which hopefully is a phrase that is that is new to a lot of people. Because I, I had like to Google it. New vocabulary. It's the first word people. I've had to Google in a long time. Yeah. It's really cool. Um, stochastic terrorism it's not a cool thing, but it's a, it's a cool word. It is. Uh, it is the, I'm going to just read the definition we have. Do it. The public demonization of a person or group resulting in the incitement of a violent act, which is statistically probable, but whose specifics cannot be predicted. So basically somebody important, somebody with a microphone or a mouthpiece just talks trash about a group or a person so much that other people go out and do something about it. Yes. Yeah. Um, the, the term stochastic is, <clears throat> excuse me, one of my new favorite words simply because it means that something is statistically probable, but not predictable. And that's like, 
I don't know. That just feels, I feel seen by that particular word. Something is statistically probable, but completely unpredictable. Uh, yeah, that's it basically, that's the process. Somebody who's, you know, charismatic, a person or an organization that carries a lot of social weight, gets out there somewhere public, says shitty things about a, a particularly targeted group of people or an individual. Um, it, really key to this process is that they make the case that the person or the group that they're talking about is a particular threat to mm -hmm. the group of people that they're speaking to. That's really key to this is that there's some element of a threat to your well-being, to your group of people, their stability, their safety, their security. Um, that's kind of the crux of this. And they they yeah. might do that verse on I mean, historically, you've seen it in like in-person speeches, in traditional news media, the newspaper, um, even advertising. Now, social oh, yeah. media is where it's at. Yeah. Twitter truth quote-unquote social um the the thing is this is something that has been without putting too fine a point on it this is like trump's primary weapon is is stochastic not necessarily terrorism it's not necessarily he's that he's trying to invoke uh an attack or violence to to cause political change necessarily. Right. Um, it is just, it is, it is the way he does business though. He'll complain about something or talk mm -hmm. about something until somebody does something about it. But it's very rare for him to explicitly say, you go and do this thing. He'll yeah. talk about, um, I was going to say he'll talk about immigrants, um, you know, and then yeah. hope that somebody does something about immigrants. But then I realized that, like, he actually – that was one of the few things he actually had a plan for. Um, I mean, it was a bad plan. It was just a wall. But, hey, it's something. Well, but also that's a really great example of this kind of process because it's like the way that stochastic terrorism works is a very specific and – at least uh, ostensibly unintentional process. You've got your your charismatic speaker who says something bad. Someone hears it. They're disgusted. Usually they hear the same message over and over and over again. They reach a tipping point, generally, again, caused by fear or anxiety about their own safety or the safety of people that they care about. And then they go out and do something terrible. Mm -hmm. And then after that, You've got your original speaker who says, well, you, we I don't condemn the violence. And you we saw that exact process with the Buffalo shooting. Right. We saw that exact process with the shooting at the Walmart in. Is it San Antonio or El Paso? I can't remember which one it was. Yeah. Uh, and the, the, the Walmart shooting where the uh, terrorist was specifically seeking out Latinos. Right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the, the shooting That's in Buffalo, nice. people, the shooter was specifically seeking out African-Americans. Right. It's a part the, of that same process. So, I mean, he's a great example of it. Yeah. And there's, well, there's, there was a, the Christchurch shooting. There's mm -hmm. the, um, 
there was a shooting out of synagogue. There's too many to count. But right. There was a shooting out of synagogue in like 2018 where they were specifically going after Jews. Jews are right. a, a, a very frequent target yes. of this sort of, of yes. mentality. Absolutely. Um, and the thing is, like, once you know that it exists, right, it's it's pretty easy to identify when it is being uh, leveraged. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much any time, and again, not to put too fine a point on it, it's just that any time Trump speaks, yeah. he's feeding into that, that sort of, somebody should do something about this. The problem is, Trump is, Trump especially, is kind of changing the the pattern there mm-hmm. um because like the final part of it is that the original speaker gives gets to use some sort of plausible deniability um and say no 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 we deny in the strongest terms we condemn in the strongest terms this sort of violence mm-hmm. that's not how we do things this is america we use d- democracy but trump doesn't do that part he doesn't take that step sometimes no. he does but less and less now and the prime example of that is uh, the most recent one, I should say, is uh, is this attack on Paul Pelosi yeah. that happened in on October twenty eighth. Um, if you've somehow been living under a rock, um, <laughs> October twenty eighth, uh, the husband of the U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi uh, was hospitalized after a man uh, broke into his house and assaulted him uh, early in the morning, like two a.m. Uh, on the 28th, uh, eight, uh, pa- Paul Pelosi is 82 years old and fought <laughs> off a man that was attacking him with a hammer. And Jesus. Uh, miraculously, honestly, um, only had a, a, a fractured skull. Um, now, he did have severe injuries to his right arm and hands, but like he easily could have been right. dead. Right. Um, so the thing is... <laughs> There, one, there's been a lot of misinformation about this, but the the man who attacked him very explicitly said that he was there for Nancy Pelosi. We know these from the police record for Nancy Pelosi. We know these from the police records. Um, we know based on his social media presence that he has been radicalized by these people, especially on the far right, who have been saying these these terrible things about how Democrats are, you know, threatening our country or how the stealing the election, right? Um, and so on and so forth. And he was motivated to 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 save, quote unquote, mm-hmm. his country. Yeah. And at one point, he had the opportunity to leave. He knew that Paul Pelosi had called nine one one, and he chose to stay knowing that the cops were on the on their way because he viewed himself as a hero as as a revolutionary in the same way mm-hmm. that the revolutionaries who fought the british to establish the united states uh were heroes for for america and um and that's again that's directly from from the police reports that's those are quotes from the the man himself so uh, this this type of stochastic this type of terrorism is so dangerous because that's what it does it radicalizes people who become these true believer types and they because they're self-motivated they're self-radicalized nobody told them they had to do this they're very very committed to their actions and they've convinced themselves that they got to do it and they'll follow through with it yeah the bridge between um 
between this sort of un this probable but unpredictable terrorism and then radicalized terrorism that we can start to watch and predict and plot um you know it it doesn't take long and it's not a far walk to get there um this is it's how we see groups all over the world become radicalized the same sort of messaging process the same sort of threat action process and it's terrifying yeah Yeah. and this is the part that scares me uh scares the wrong word this is the part i'm most concerned about because like this this attack on paul pelosi is far from the only act of stochastic terrorism that we've seen in recent history. Right. August 29th of this year, Pennsylvania uh, Pennsylvania man uh, pleaded guilty to threatening to shoot and kill uh, a, a heretofore unnamed member of Congress. Mm-hmm. Um, he made threats in August while on pretrial release pending sentencing <laughs> um, for impersonating members of then President Donald Trump's family to raise funds for a fictitious political organization. Like the guy... Not great. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. In July of this year, Republican U.S. Representative Lee Zeldin, who is a New York gubernatorial candidate, um, he was giving a campaign speech near Rochester uh, in New York, and a man climbed on stage and tried to stab him. I saw that video. It's bizarre because it's like, how is this happening? (laughs) Like, this cannot be happening. This does not happen. Um, but it it is it is and these are not one offs you can you can just look at the t- the attempted or or actually executed um acts of terrorism that are coming from this rhetoric, rhetoric that we're seeing right now that is being increasing like the heat's going up and up because nobody is saying this is this isn't right Mm-hmm. Or rather, the people who are in who are in charge of causing it right. aren't aren't taking that third step and saying, "No, no, I condemn this." Right. Um, Trump himself has needs to come out and say, "You know, no, this is bad," but he won't do it. He won't do it. I don't think I've seen anything from him condemning the attack on Paul Pelosi. And in fact, uh, his son was a fucking cave troll and tweeted the just a joke about it anybody joking about it honestly it kind of tells you what you need to know about their morals absolutely and it's Um, i mean we're not going to see it and that's the thing he i think the the closest that that we're going to get to a statement probably would be as disappointing as what we saw after charlottesville which was there are very fine people on both sides right he said nothing after the plot to kidnap and execute Governor Gretchen Weimer from Michigan was completely laid bare and multiple people were arrested. Nothing. Yeah. Well, you know why on that? I don't we never followed up on this. But the the theory, the conspiracy, by the way, is that uh, that was actually all FBI agents. Oh, because oh. if it's ever something that ever that you can't explain yourself, mm-hmm. it's always the FBI guys. It should one. be. Yeah, it absolutely should be. Freaking! Annoying. I can't. That's uh, too I, much. I, That's too much. Oh, I read one that said the Las Vegas shooting. Yeah, I had heard that FBI. one. Anytime it, it, that it there's like so a, a gun massacre, gun related violence like that, False I flag. you always hear 
that it's it's actually the liberals trying to cause a problem so that your guns get taken away. Um, yeah. The end goal was for the for the Vegas shooting. Apparently, according to this conspiracy theory, it was to get bump stocks, bump stocks banned. Oh, well, they did a yeah. real good job. Yeah. So anyway, back to stochastic terrorism. Yes. Uh, just to generalize it a little bit, here's some numbers that are not great, <laughs> um, and but but kind of exemplify why this matters. Um, if we go to Arizona, you'll remember Maricopa County, uh, which was, you know, the center of a lot of controversy in the 2020 election. And there was the fruit ninjas guys who were trying to investigate the election. I don't think, uh, code, who was it? Something ninjas. I'm calling them fruit ninjas. (laughs) I think it was like Um, code ninjas or something like that. Something like that. Uh, who, who said that they were, who, didn't have any experience doing this, but said they were going to certify the election and then couldn't find anything wrong, even though they were basically paid actors for the Trump campaign. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Um, in that county, uh, election workers have faced more than 100 threats and uh, intimidating communications in the run up to Tuesday's midterms. Now, this was as of a few days ago. Um, most of the threats that they're receiving were based on conspiracy theories by former President Trump and his allies, like Bannon, for example. Um, More tellingly, I think, even than that, is that according to data provided by the uh, U.S. Capitol Police, um, you know, the guys who a couple of them were killed. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, on January 6th. um, Those guys. They have seen threats uh, or cases related to concerning statements and threats made to members of Congress uh, go from 3,939 cases in 2017 to 9,625 cases in 2021. And who knows what the final total will be this year. I would be willing to bet it will be higher. Oh, yeah. Um, I do want to make a quick point, though. I would not call January 6th a case of stochastic terrorism. I see it included in the list, but I don't think it qualifies because as we can see in the communications that have been provided through the January 6th committee, and you can say what you want about the committee itself, the evidence that they're procuring, it's from the people who actually took part in it like they're not making the evidence up um and that shows specific communications between parties planning an event on january 6th so it's not that somebody was saying man i hope something will happen right it's that the people directly involved in 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 uh, executing that plan were in communications with the people who would benefit from that plan being executed. That's just terrorism. Yeah, that's just straight it, terrorism. There is none of that element of um, a message goes out into the world and then someone uh, picks it up and does something about it. This this used to be described as like lone wolf terrorism. Um, but anymore, yeah. they kind of have moved away from that because the actor is not always a lone wolf and uh, you you can't downplay the importance of the message that they receive in the first place. But yeah, that's just straight organized uh, 
terrorism, just insurrection. Yeah. Just as that's all it is. Yeah. And that's, I mean, and we stand to see things like that again in the wake of this election, depending on who wins. Mm-hmm. Um, 60% of Americans voting by Tuesday will have on the ballot a candidate that refuses to accept the results of the 2020 presidential election as being valid. Yeah. 60% of people. 60%. I have. I, mm-hmm, yep. I've got. Yeah. I've got them. And it's it's a little shocking. I mean, so from from 538 Politics, which is a website that we refer to a lot during election times, um, admittedly on many of the media bias charts, they do lean slightly left, uh, but they have a lot of really accurate statistical modeling and really good representation of um, candidates that are on the ballot and the way that things are looking running up to election day. They do a lot of really great polling um, that is very statistically valid. So we will acknowledge that they do have a slight left-leaning bias, but their numbers check out, essentially. Um, And so out of 552 total Republican nominees running for office this month, uh, we found they found that 199 of them fully deny the legitimacy of the 2020 election. Like these candidates either clearly state that the election was stolen from Trump or they took legal action to try to overturn the results, like voting to not certify the election results or joining in lawsuits that were trying to overturn the election results. Some of them took illegal action. Yeah, exactly. Because some of them were actually at the Capitol on January 6th. Yes. Yes. And some of them were part of, um, you know, conspiracies to send alternate electors and and all kinds of things that are just downright illegal. But looking at legal action, they did that too. Um, In the House, a lot of these election deniers are poised to win their elections. They're going to win their races. Um, 116 election deniers and eight election doubters, which the definitions of those two things you can find on 538, um, have at least a 95% chance of winning their race. That's Mm. 116 to 124 people in the U.S. House of Representatives who believe that the previous presidential election was illegitimate. Or at the very least, express those thoughts out loud, even if they don't believe them personally. Correct. Correct. Are- Which I'm I'm cynical enough to to believe that a lot of these people actually think that there was nothing wrong mm-hmm. with the election, but they know that they can use that as a campaign platform right. um, in the absence of having an actual plan <laughs> and get a significant vote. Right. I don't know if that's cynical or optimistic. It's both. <laughs> It's both. You can be both. I'm a a cynical optimist. Exactly. Um, But I mean, it's I don't think it's optimistic. Honestly, I think it's pessimistic because it just shows that they are so. They're so obsessed with obtaining the power that they don't care how they do it. That's true. I guess my hope would be like if they don't really believe it, then maybe they would be if if push came to shove, they would be less likely to take um, policy action. Maybe. I don't know. I tend to just lean toward the heavy optimist. That's just me. We've been doing this for over two years now. You're adorable. I know. Uh, 
at the state level, um, at least two election deniers and four election doubters are poised to be inaugurated as governors next year. That's a big deal. That's a huge deal a that deal. can have a direct impact impact on like how an election is executed in a state. Mm-hmm. Um, there are seven election deniers running for attorney general. So potentially seven attorneys general who could be oh, and seven for secretary of state, um, secretary of state. It's a post that oversees election administration in most states. Yeah. Um, fewer states than it was in 2020, because after 2020, some governors removed that uh, responsibility from the secretaries of state, they did. Uh, Georgia, because <laughs> the secretaries of state didn't do what the governor wanted and fake oh. the the election results. Yeah. Hmm. George is a big hot mess. So again, like, why? Why is this a big deal? Why do we care about governors in states that are not ours? Why do we care about secretaries of state in states that are not ours? It all goes to the integrity of future elections, to protecting the process by which the United States has chosen its government, its leaders for 250 plus years. If there are a significant number of officials in office at both the federal and the state level who deny the legitimacy of the 2020 election, which, again, by all rational indicators, was one of the most secure elections in recent history, then that leaves the door open for drastic policy changes that restrict access to voting on an even greater level than we saw immediately post-election, which that was significant. We saw so much restriction of access to voting and um, and the ability to cast a vote. I know here in Missouri where I'm voting, I have to have a photo ID on Tuesday when I go to vote. That was a decision that was made immediately post-election and is now being implemented. And we're going to see that if if these election deniers take office, we're going to see that increase significantly. And they'll have the power to do it. Yeah. Which, you know, don't get us wrong. There's nothing that's inherently bad about requiring an ID to vote. It's when the requirements for an ID to vote are combined with an incredible amount of obstacles to get that ID that it becomes problematic. Um, You have to consider people who can vote still but maybe aren't free to go to the DMV during its normal operating hours to get a driver's license or who can't move themselves and the person who can move them is not available or so on and so forth, right? right? So many states still require you to pay for a non-driver's license for a a photo ID. Um, So there's that. Oh, yeah. There's that that obstacle as well. Which just makes it effectively a second order poll tax, which poll taxes are illegal. They're unconstitutional. Mm -hmm. But if you have to pay for your license and you have to have a license to vote, you're just moving the, the burden from the vote to the license. And suddenly people aren't paying to vote. They're paying for the license. Right. And it's easier to defend in a court that wants to find a way to allow to con- that to continue to happen. Yeah. So if you challenge it up to a 6-3 Supreme Court that is leaning towards the side that would want to restrict voter turnout, well. Exactly. Anyway. The more obstacles you put in the way of somebody who um, should otherwise legally be free and open to vote, uh, the harder you make it to really see the will of the people executed. Yeah. 
it makes democracy uh, farther away for all of us. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. And then uh, these officials that we worry about, the, the reason this is a big deal, you'll recall talk of certifying an election uh, in 2020. At a state level, those are the, the officials who certify that election are the, the governors and the secretaries of state. And if they are, if they won't believe the results of an election, that is a threat to that. That will bring the democratic process to a grinding halt. Um, if they refuse to act in good faith, then we will honestly, I truly believe we will be hoping we will be wishing for a time when we are concerned about the price of milk over everything yeah. else again. Agreed. If you want to tell us how concerned you are about democracy, yeah, you can do that at firesidebreakdowns.com. Um, we have all sorts of great stuff there for you. Uh, you can see our show notes to almost every single one of our shows, even some show notes for our unscripted episodes sometimes. Um, if you want to check our sources, go. That's what they're there for. Um, you can also find links to all of our socials. So you can find us on Twitter sort of on Instagram, more likely, even on Facebook until it chokes off its final breath and finally dies. Um, we'll be on whatever social media giant takes over after Meta kicks the bucket um, eventually. We will uh, also direct you to our Patreon, which you can find the link to on our website. Mm -hmm. If you think that we deserve some, you know, money to buy some coffees or something for doing this. Uh, that's the place where you can throw it our way. Um, Patreon subscribers get a little extra content every week. Sometimes it's just a few minutes. Sometimes it's a full 15 minutes of, of additional research that we couldn't cram into these episodes. Um, and you'll also get occasional inside thoughts. We're going to have a happy hour. We've been saying yeah. that for forever. We were supposed to have it in October, but then I decided to bring my life crashing down around my ears. So... <laughs> We didn't do it yet. We didn't do We're it yet. There. It's okay. We do have playlists. Yeah. We have playlists. We do have playlists as well. If you want to listen to what we listen to when we're writing these things, that's the place to go get it. Yeah. Patreon. Patreon. That's that's the thing. All right. That's my bump. That's my that's my that's my thing. Uh, do you have good news? I do have good news. I'm stealing it directly news. from uh, So Informed, who stole it directly from AlaskaPublic.org. But it is both relevant to the topic and to the fact that it is National Native American Heritage Month. Woo! It's one of our favorite Woo months here at Fireside Breakdown. Okay. We have failed to celebrate appropriately so far. We're working on it, though. We're working, We're working on, it. on it. Okay, so a group of regional tribes is encouraging local communities to turn out in the 2022 midterm elections with Cash prizes for schools and cultural programs in Alaska via alaskapublic.org. A total of $20,000 will go to Bristol Bay communities with high turnout in next week's election. If a winning community doesn't have a school, the money will be given to its tribe to support a cultural program. The contest is not affiliated with any candidate or political party. Instead, it's just about getting people to exercise their right to vote. Get out there, cast a vote. That's all that matters. Um, 
there are two contest categories. One is for the higher voter turnout overall, and the other is for the biggest increase in turnout compared to the 2018 midterm elections. So that's really cool. Um, I learned in this last week that there are a whole lot of rules around how you can incentivize people to vote. Uh, I, mm-hmm. di- I didn't know them. Um, but this is one cool way to do it. You're not directly incentivizing an individual, but you are letting them know that their uh, their civic participation can benefit their local community. And that yeah. is awesome. Historically, Native American voters don't have the highest turnout rates. Um, can't imagine why. They've been isolated yeah, and alienated from, you know, citizenship in the United States for most of their history. So I can't imagine why they wouldn't be the most excited about participation. Uh, but they are highly valued and their perspective is really important. And it is really, really valuable to see tribal communities coming out to make their voices heard in what happens in the United States. So that's super exciting. I agree. I am stoked to hear that. I learned that there were a lot of rules around election uh, incentivization uh, from Hank Green, <laughs> uh, who was going to hold host a lottery yes. uh, for people who had registered to vote based on his Twitter replies and uh, almost ended up going to federal prison for it. Yeah, so, it's great. If, you, yeah. um, if you're an Instagram person or I think he's also on TikTok, I'm too old for that. Um, Hank Green is a great follow. On yeah. on the Instagrams. He's super fun. Yeah. And you learn cool things like you can't pay people to register to vote. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fun guy. Fun guy. Anyway, that's all we've got for this week. Uh, coming in right on the on the nose there. And so thank you so much, everybody, for listening to us one more time for having patience with us while we get our lives figured out. Uh, we will hopefully be back to you one week from today. Go vote for the love of God. Yes. Get your friends to vote. Get their friends to vote. And um, until we talk to you again, take care of each other.